Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. How many of you know what we're talking about? You think you got it by now? Do <laughs> you think you know where we're at by now? If I'm not mistaken, this is about 14 lessons. Some are 13. 13. But that's all right. We're not going anywhere. You know, it's better to go over and over and over and over and over and get it right than it is to just hit and miss, not get it down deep into your heart. Because Paul said, that way you'll be ever learning, but never come to the knowledge of the truth. I'd rather come to the knowledge of the truth and learn it, get it into my heart and apply it, amen, than to just hear it and be a forgetful hearer of God's Word, not a doer. Well, we're now just turning into the second phase of this teaching, which is the application of the actual parable. In other words, to apply it to our everyday life, to apply it. To our own living. Now we said that in the parable of the sower. And if you've not been with us before. We've discussed the parable of the sower and the seed. It's found in Matthew 13, Mark 4 and Luke 8. And we've been just tearing it apart. Just going very slowly. Getting all the truth we can out of it. And talking about it and discussing it. And showing you how it works. We've come to the conclusion that according to these three different Gospels, in order to understand, in order to have a good heart, at the end of each of the parable, it says, and the good heart, a good heart is one that hears the word, understands the word, receives the word, and keeps the word in his heart with patience and bringeth forth fruit. So if you take each latter verse of each parable, Matthew 13, 23, Mark 4, 20, and Luke 8, 15, it says you've got to keep that word. You've got to hear the word first. You've got to understand it. You've got to receive it. You've got to keep it inside your heart with patience. And then you will bring forth fruit. Now, the fruit is forthcoming if the word is kept in the heart. Because the other scripture said over there in Mark 4, 26, 27, right on through 29 there, it says the earth or the heart brings forth the fruit of herself. Our obligation is to keep the Word in us, in our spirits, and then the spirit man on the inside will bring forth. Because Jesus said, what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Well, notice that the application then of, of the parable and the application of anything that's in the realm of the supernatural is by faith. Now you can understand why that... The scripture writer there said in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 6, But without faith it is impossible. Why? Because the operation of the kingdom of God within the heart of man is released by And all the kingdom of God is in the heart of man. It's within. Jesus said the kingdom of God has come unto you. It's within. Don't look without. It's within. And so to bring out... The spiritual forces that are in the kingdom of God, it takes faith. 
So without faith you cannot bring forth the application of the kingdom of God to your everyday life and circumstances. Now that's not saying you don't have it. If you're born again, you have it. But if you don't understand how faith works, you're not going to be able to bring it forth. Now that's what we've got to understand. Now we saw over there, in, as I said, Matthew, the abundance of the heart. This is Matthew 12, 34. The mouth speaketh. The abundance. A good man out of depositing good things or the good treasure into his heart brings forth out of the heart good things. So now we've got to see and understand how we're going to deposit the good of God's Word into our spirit and then allow faith to bring forth that which is in our heart out so it can meet the needs of all the circumstances of our life, no matter what it is. Anything you have need of, it's found in the Word of God. And if you'll just learn to apply and learn how to activate the spiritual forces of Love, joy, and so on and so forth. All the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, patience, goodness, kindness, meekness, sympathy, faith. Learn how to apply all them. Let them get to the point. Like Peter said, over there in Second Peter, the first chapter, I believe it is verse 8. He said, if these things be in you and abound or produce in abundance out of the abundance of the heart, right? If these things be in you and abound or are in you in abundance, produced in abundance inside your spirit, it'll cause you neither to be barren nor unfruitful. What things? He said, add to your faith virtue, and the virtue knowledge, and the knowledge temperance, and the temperance godliness, and the godliness, or patience, patience godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity, or divine love. If these things be in you and abound, this again is talk abiding the, talk, talking about the fruit of the spirit that's inside you, the recreated human spirit, the kingdom of God, the supernatural forces of the kingdom of God, if these things be in you and abound. Well, now they're in you. But are they abounding in you? Are you producing them in abundance in your life? If you are, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace will be multiplied unto you. And you'll reign in life as a king through the abundance of grace. As a king and priest in this life. Now that's God's purpose for every one of his children. But we've got to follow the rules. So there are two phases to the operation or the application of the word and this principle, this parable in the heart of the believer. And I, 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 we ended with that last time I believe that we talked. There's a twofold application. Number one was putting the word within you. And we talked about confession of God's Word. The first part of confession of God's Word is to put within your spirit the Word of God. Because we said the parable said that a man should plant the seed inside his heart. Go to bed, rise up, go to bed, rise up. He knoweth not how, but the earth bringeth forth. So the first thing you've got to realize that when you start to, and begin to speak God's Word, first of all, it might not be an abundance in your heart. Well, I have to say this. If you just got born again and never read your Bible, it can't be an abundance in your heart, can it? I mean, if it's not there, it's just not there. So, what do you do? You begin to speak God's Word. We said the good man out of the good deposits of his heart bringeth forth good things. And the way to do that, we, we follow the principles. If you weren't with us before, get the tapes. Follow up on the tapes. 
Proverbs 18 says, A man's belly shall be satisfied by the words of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips, or the increase of his saying, the increase of his words, he'll be filled. I want to be filled with all the fullness of God. Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, how could they abide in me? How could they dwell in me? I've got to take the Word of God, meditate the Word of God, speak forth the Word of God, allow the Word of God to have control in my heart. Isn't that right? Okay, if I allow that to happen, then the Word will be in me in abundance. If it's in abundance in my heart, it will be kept coming out in abundance through my mouth. Now, let's give you an example. Let's say, let's say someone's not born again, doesn't understand anything about the new birth. Go to Romans, the 10th chapter. Let's give an example. Let's say that... You've never been born again. You don't know what it means to be born again. You may never have heard the term, you must be born again. So, consequently, you couldn't have been thinking about it, could you? <clears throat> Remember the first time someone told me, what do you think about this being born again business? In me? I said, I was born once. Isn't that enough? I did. I didn't know anything about it. I mean, I didn't even didn't have a Bible in front of me. Like that. He said, someone just walked up to me just very casually and said, what do you think about this? I said, what do I think about what? They said, what do you think about being born again? What do I think about it? Of course, I didn't think anything about it. Well, how would you think about something that you don't know anything about? Isn't that right? I mean, I never sat around. I thought about going to heaven. But the question was, what do you think about being born again? I says, I never, I never even knew about being born again, let alone think about it. But when I heard those words, I began to do what? I began to think about it. So those words produced some thoughts. I began to think about what, the, what that person said. I, I, I don't know what it means. I said, but I, I, you know, I, show me what, where you found that. And they said, John 3, 3, Jesus said. Now, that made me really think about it. Because when they said, Jesus said you must be born again, I says, oh. And I began to think about this thing. What's it mean to be born again? Of course, it wasn't abundance in my heart. I just began to think about it. Now, I had to understand it first. And then I had to receive it and keep it within my heart with patience. And it will bring forth the full fruition of my salvation when we meet Him in glory. Amen. Really. So I began to think about that. Let's go to the sixth verse of the tenth chapter. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring down Christ from above? Or who shall descend into deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. In thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, first of all, I have got to hear the word, and the word has got to come into my heart. If I take that word and hear that word and receive that word, faith is produced in my heart. But there's a twofold application which we've got to get into right now before we can get into the first fruit. That is, after you have heard the word and received the word into your heart, you have got to bring forth, bring forth 
that word or that's whatever the seed that's in there and act upon that word so it could produce life. Give an example. Faith without works is dead. The faith came. Let's say I preached the same message on salvation to a group of 150 people and not one of them were saved. The word went forth. They all heard the word. They understood what I was saying. They understood the word. Some of them said, I want to receive this. And the others said, I don't know about me right now. I'm not ready. The word will not fail to be received or, or to produce that faith. Once you hear that word, that the faith is coming because faith is nothing but Hearing the knowledge of God's Word and receiving that knowledge of God's Word. When you hear it, faith comes. Faith cometh by what? They heard it. They all heard it. And they all had faith to be saved if they all would have what? Received the Word and acted upon that Word. Acted upon it. Well, what were the actions be to bring forth? Well, he said here, you've got to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Those are the corresponding actions that go along with faith. Now, the same word that produced faith, the faith of those that, that were out there that said, I don't want it, died. That faith died. Faith, without corresponding actions, is dead. It was to no avail. They heard the word. They understood the word. But, oh, I'm not ready for this yet. Okay, it could not produce the new birth inside their heart. There are a lot of people that have heard the word for healing and they're not healed because they have not received the word in their heart and then acted upon the word. If they would, they would be healed. There's a twofold application. You've got to bring it forth. You've got to, number one, get it into your heart. Number two, you've got to bring it forth. Well, let's take a look here. Let's go to James and, and let's clarify a little bit more. The action that you, let's say the corresponding actions that you walk in or that you perform, perfect your faith. If you do not have corresponding actions, then your faith will not be perfected. Let's look at James, the first chapter, or second chapter. Let's start with verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if though a man say he hath faith and hath not works, can faith save him? I've got the Weymouth's translation which says, What good is it, my brethren, if a man profess to have faith and yet his actions do not correspond? Okay? What does it profit this man if he claims to have faith and professes to have faith, but yet his actions do not correspond with his faith? What does it profit the man? Well, let's see. If a brother or a sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not corresponding actions, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one or my corresponding actions. 
Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, vain man, that faith without corresponding actions is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by corresponding actions when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? If he would have just talked about it and never went out there and attempted to do it, his actions would have been not corresponding to what he believed. What did he believe? He believed that God had to raise him up from the dead if he killed him. Right? You talk about corresponding actions to put him upon that altar and get the knife and just about ready to kill him. Now, those were corresponding actions. And sometimes, friends, it seems as though you're just about to stab them to death or you're just about to sink under the water before God meets you at that point. Sometimes it's just when your faith is stretched out as far as it can go, then God intervenes. Why? To develop your faith. If it happened like that all the time, you'd never develop in faith. Look at the next verse. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made what? I'll give you Weymouth's translation again. You notice that his faith was cooperating with his actions, and by his actions his faith was perfected. Notice he said, that his actions corresponded to his faith. What he did. Actions involves what you think, what you believe, what you speak, and what you do. His actions corresponded to his faith. And so, faith with his corresponding actions and by them was perfected in his life. But go on down to verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without what? Works or corresponding actions that go along with it is dead. Someone said, you say that I didn't have any faith? No. I didn't say that. If you check out almost every case where an individual fails to receive from God, they'll say, well, what do you mean? You think I don't have any faith? And they think you're coming against their faith. No, I didn't say you didn't have any faith. Basically, they do not have corresponding actions. They say they believe, but they do something else. They say they're healed, but yet they act like they're sick. Now, that's not corresponding. You say you believe God is your healer, but then you run to the doctor. And don't get, don't get on me about I'm not talking bad about doctors. Hallelujah. I didn't say that. I'm showing you the dividing line. If you believe that God is your healer, and yet your corresponding actions ran to the doctor and didn't give God even five minutes, then where are your actions showing? Well, what are your actions showing? Where is your trust? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. All I'm saying is you've got to grow and develop to the point to where your faith is more in God than in the world system. And this is a process. This does not happen overnight. This is a process. In some cases, if your case it has, well, then lift up the other brother who hasn't, who has not yet arrived to that uh, high, higher type of faith. Now, your corresponding, or its corresponding actions has... Got to line up with what you're speaking or what you're saying. 
If they are not, then you will not bring forth. And the whole key to this thing is to fill up the heart first. Once the heart is full, then bring forth up out of the heart the good things. What good things? Well, start naming the good things. Love, joy, peace, patience. Healing for your body. Financial assistance. Anything you need. Healing for your children. You start naming all the things that's good, and those good things will come forth out of your spirit. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Okay. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of the heart or the spirit of man come all the issues or the forces of life. That's where they come from. Yet we're over here saying, now Lord, come on, do it for me. But the scripture says, don't look up to heaven and say, come on down from heaven. Don't look across the sea and say, Lord, you're going to do it now. He said, but look, the word is very nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, the word of faith which you preach, that if you would believe and confess from your heart and your mouth, thou shalt be saved. And that word means everything. Not just saved from death. It means saved from death, sickness and disease, poverty and everything else that the devil's got in his weapon. Amen. All his weapons. Okay, that's how it works. Now we've got to apply it. We've got to start somewhere. And we've got to start being a doer of God's Word. We've got to start acting out what we are saying. If you're saying it and believing it and not acting it out, then you've got to change right there. You've got to turn that thing around. Let's go back to Ephesians, the third chapter. And... Uh, Let's begin our application of the parable of the sower and the seed. First of all, in the highest spiritual force there is, which is love. The highest realm of living is in the realm of love. For God is love. What is the fruit, first fruit of the Spirit? Actually, I think love is the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faith are all found in what? Love. Think about it. Love endures long is patient and kind. It rejoices. Joy. You can find all, just in that love, you can find all the fruit of the Spirit. But it's broke down. The writer breaks them down for us so we can see every single one of them. And then develop ourselves in every fruit of the Spirit so we can bring forth and develop by faith what's already been shed abroad in our heart. Now, if we'll bring that up forth from the Spirit of man, you'll begin to walk in a new realm of life. You'll begin to be just like Jesus was when he walked on this earth. And we're going to see that here as we begin to get into love. Love is the first. We'll put that down. Remember over there in our stone by the wayside, there, the, it went into the ground. It, it sprung up speedily, but there was no root. There was no root. And because there was no root, what happened? It died out. Let's look at the third chapter of Ephesians. Let's take a look at verse... 14, well, let's, let's take a look at verse 17 first, then we'll back up. Look at verse 17. That Christ 
may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in rooted and grounded there was no root in themselves and because there was no root they were not developed they were not rooted and grounded in love this book is the book of love Jesus didn't go to the cross love went to the cross Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. Jesus, yes, was the love of God. He said greater love, but he also says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. So Jesus' death upon Calvary's cross was the greatest act of one. Okay, we've got to be rooted and grounded, first of all, in love. If you're not rooted and grounded. You know, Jesus said you've got to dig deep and build on, upon God's Word a foundation. There's no greater foundation that you'll find than the foundation of God's love for you. Say this with me. God loves me, God loves me. so much that He gave His life. For me. And because he gave his life for me, the word says, he freely gives me all things. Anything you want from God is, is an act of God's love for you. And if he gave you the greatest of all gifts, his son Jesus, the Bible says he'll not withhold any good thing from you. So if you're not rooted and grounded in the, in the fact of God's love for you, someone says, well, you know, I'm sick because God gave this to me. God didn't give you sickness or disease. He doesn't do that. That does not come from God. Not for any purpose, not for any way, shape, form. Any way does it come from God. That's not a gift from God, believe me. There's a lot of people that are deceived and think that. But that you'll not find that in the Bible. You won't find that in God's Word. God is love. God gives every good and perfect gift. You've got to be rooted and grounded in this love. If you think that God's doing all these wicked and evil things to you, then you do not have any depth inside your spirit because you, the things you're thinking and accusing God of are really coming from Satan's kingdom. You're accusing Him as being lower than the devil. Lower than any earthly father. And He doesn't do that. So everything that God has done is because of His love for you. You've got to be rooted and grounded in this love. Let's back up. I'm going to read this to you from the Amplified Version. Back up to verse 14. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. Follow me along from verse 14. For this reason, seeing the greatness of this plan by which you are built together in Christ... I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is from the Amplified. For whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That Father, from whom all fatherhood takes its title and derives its name, may He grant you out of the rich treasury of His glory to be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power in the inner man by the Holy Spirit Himself, indwelling your innermost being and personality. May Christ, through your faith, through your faith, actually dwell, settle down, abide, make His permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. Founded securely on love. And there's threefold meaning right there. We'll stop there just for a moment. 
Number one, God's love for you is number one. We love Him because He first loved us. The love that this is talking about, you've got to be grounded and rooted in the fact that God's love is for you. I can read throughout all the Bible. Jesus said before I left, the Father Himself loveth you. Did He not? Okay, we're going to see this love. And when you see how what the characteristics of this love is, you'll start to see some things about your Father God. Did you notice back up there it says, He is the Father where all other fathers got their title. In other words, He is the author of fatherhood. He has a father heart. The original father heart. Amen. He is a father to you and to me. That's why you could do good things for your children because you're the father and your father heart came from the father heart of God. And if you're going to tell me that you want to make your kids sick, well then I'll tell you what. You're not a very good father. I don't know one father that would want to do that to his child. Not one. Let's finish this off. Verse 18. That you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints God's devoted people the experience of that love. The experience of that love. What is the breadth and length and the height and the depth of it? I've got to grab a hold of the experience of that love. If I don't for myself, I'll never understand the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height, the endless boundaries of God's mercy and compassion towards me as a child. I'll never know that. Look what else he said. That you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God, that is, may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God Himself. Hallelujah. Now, the Scripture says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad. Weymouth says, The love of God has flooded our spirits. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has sent that love and flooded our spirits with God's love. Now, if you have not understood by personal experience, if you're born again, truly, then you have by experience in the new birth, experienced the love of God. At least you should have. If you were born again, the love of God was shed abroad or flooded inside your spirit. Now, by faith, you can get to a place that the love of God that's inside of you can be perfected. That word perfected, it means, actually in the Greek, it means to bring to its fullness. Or to allow it to run its full course. Let's say the fruit is the apple. Alright? Now the apple, if it's supposed to be a red apple and it's still, it's just a little, little green thing, has not been allowed to run its full course. 
it's not fully developed, it's not perfected, it has not got to the place to where it's ripe. Okay, if you'll just let that fruit remain in the vine and allow the process to continue inside that fruit, it'll get to a place to where it actually becomes big and ripened. You allow the fruit to take its full course, bringing that fruit to what? To perfection or to maturity so that you could take that fruit and use it for what its purpose is. Love is the fruit of the recreated human spirit. That love is inside your heart. It is shed abroad inside your heart. It has flooded your spirit. But it's only by faith can we take that fruit and bring it to full perfection. Luke said, hold your place there just for a minute. Luke said in Luke 8, 14, in the same parable, Luke 8, 14, Let's read it all, the whole verse. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they had heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to, to what? They don't bring the fruit to perfection. The fruit is inside your spirit. But if you don't bring that fruit to perfection, you'll never walk in the perfect love of God. How do I do it? The Scripture said by faith. And we're going to show you how to apply it in your life. Let's read, first of all, verse. let's go back to Ephesians. Let's read the last verse, verse 20. Verse 20. Now to him who, and I'm reading it from the Amplified, by, in consequence of, the action of his power... That is at work within us is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly far above, far over and above all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes or dreams. Now, what he's saying now, when now, when you have brought forth the fruit of love to perfection, when this love has flooded your spirit to the point that this perfect love is just flowing out from you, God is able to do a super abundantly above all you ask or think according to the power of the perfected fruit of love that's working with inside your spirit. See, we take these scriptures out of context and just say, Oh, God's able to, He's able, He's able. It's not what it's saying. It's saying now God is able. What do you mean now? Now that you have perfected love and you are firmly rooted and grounded in God's love for you. That's one. Number two, your love for God. We love Him because He first loved us. Number three, this is the commandment I give you that you love one another even as I've loved you. See, there's, you've got to get all of this to get firmly rooted and grounded love. To perfect love, God's love for you, your love for God, and your love for one another. 
You'll be perfected in that love. Now, he said in Ephesians, you're over there in the third chapter. Go down to the fifth chapter. We already said that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. We have that love. It's already in us. I have got to bring forth that love by applying the parable of the sower, by applying the, the Word of God, filling up my spirit with the words that say what this love is. When I fill up my spirit with how love acts, what its characteristics are, what love does do and what love does not do, then my spirit will be flooded with love. I'll be able to bring it forth up out of my spirit and then I'll walk in that love. Now, in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, be ye therefore followers. The Amplified puts it in its better translation, be ye therefore imitators. Now, you've got, got to grab a hold of this. Be ye therefore imitators of God as dear children. In other words, copy. Copy. Be an imitator or copy. Did you ever see a little boy uh, watch his daddy who's a carpenter? And he picks up a nail and he's, built, he's maybe putting an addition onto the house or he's fixing up the family room or he's doing something. And the little one, he's watching and he's watching and he's watching. And before you know it, he's got that hammer. That thing's twice as big as him almost. And he goes out and gets a big old, old big nail. And, you know, he's trying to pick up that thing. And he's, what's he doing? Imitating his father. Right? He's imitating. You are told to walk in love. The next verse says, Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in what? Wait a minute. You mean love? Walking in love is doing nothing but imitating God? Okay. How am I to walk towards you as my brother and sister? How? In love. If I am to walk in love towards you... The only way I can do it is by imitating who? I imitate my Father God, and when I imitate Him, I copy Him, I copy His actions, I copy His words, I do what He says to do, I act like He acts. When I act like God acts, then I act in love, because God is love. Now, what I want to get across to you is this. If I am copying Him, and he told me, don't you do any harm to your brother or sister. How could you justify yourself in saying that God made me sick for a reason? Does the Bible say, go out and make your neighbor sick? Does the Bible say, go out and speak bad things about your neighbor? Does the Bible say, go out there and just, uh, you know... Get a whip and beat them over the back for a while to see how many times they can take it before they straighten up? It doesn't say that. But the Bible does say imitate your Father God. What am I imitating? I'm imitating love. Then evidently the Word must show us what love is, what love's characteristics are, what love does do and what love does not do. And when I find all this out, I am imitating the Father God. Now, if I'm to walk in this love, He had to show me what this love was. And if this is what love is through God's Word, and I apply that love, then it must mean that that's how God the Father is loving me. Because the Bible says we are to love one another as He loved 
us. Wait a minute. You mean you'd go out there and do anything for your neighbor? You mean to tell me you show them so much love and kindness and mercy, you'd do anything for them? If they asked you, you'd do it, wouldn't you? You, where'd you get that? Off your father. He'll do anything for you. Oh. Who are we imitating? Who are we acting like? We're acting like our father. But see, people don't, they don't see that. I'm to love you, but... He's up there with a whip. No, he's not. You are imitating God's love for you by showing that same love for your neighbor. You see how it works? It comes from Him to you first. You can't portray the love of God unless you know the love of God. Let's, since we're talking about let's go up here to uh, 1 Corinthians 13. That's the love chapter. Well, before we get there, go back to Romans, the fifth chapter. Let's go there. We, we read that once. Let's go one more time. Romans, the fifth chapter. We're imitating God's love in the earth. We are acting out. We are copying God's love. If we are copying it, then it's not original in us, is it? It's original from God the Father. If I am showing forth love and mercy and kindness to you, then somebody's got to be showing that same love and mercy and kindness to me because I wouldn't know how to act like that unless somebody told me how. Or unless somebody gave me the love wherewith to love you with. And the Bible clearly says the love of God has shed abroad or flooded our spirits by the Spirit of God. Then if I have all this compassion and mercy and love towards you that I'll do anything for you, then God the Father's love is the same love for me. I love Him and I love you because He first loved me. It's got to be coming from Him to me so I can get it out to you. Otherwise, I wouldn't love you like that. Because I don't have the capacity for love like that. And I'll show you why as we get into some of these words for love. Now, Romans, the fifth chapter here, verse 5 says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. But let's look, let me show you how God introduced you to His love in verse 8. But this is verse 8. But God commendeth His love. The word commendeth means to introduce somebody to somebody else. God introduced us to His love or to what love is. God introduced you and He introduced me to love. In verse 8 where it says, God commended His love towards us or introduced us to His love. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You did not know love and could not understand divine love until you knew that Christ died for you. Because Jesus says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The first introduction to the love that God's saying we are to imitate is this love that gave his life. That's why it says, for God so loved the world that He gave His Son. He introduced us to divine love by making this supreme sacrifice. It's ultimate giving. So the characteristics of this love is going to be unselfishness. It's going to be giving. God's love for us. He introduced us to what love is. Love is giving of yourself. This is divine love. It is giving more than of yourself. It's giving your life. Isn't that what it says? He gave His life for us. 
Jesus says, if you'll be great in the kingdom of God, you'll lay down your life for your friends. You'll lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. You'll be the lowest. But you'll be the greatest. What do you think he was talking about when he says, the least shall be first and the first shall be last? You consider yourself least. Paul said, what did he say? He says, I am considered to be less than least of all the apostles because I persecuted the church of Christ. What was he saying? I consider myself to be the least. And not only did he say that, but he acted that out. He acted out the part. But he knew because of the way he was living his life and acting, he could say, be ye followers of me or be ye imitators of me because I'm, in, I'm imitating God. The least shall be first. He walked in with this love. Now he introduced his love to us right here by giving us Jesus while, and note this, underline it, while we were yet what? Not bosom buddies. While we were yet sinners. That means while we hated Him. While we rebelled against Him. While we didn't want to have anything to do with God. All during all that. He still gave His Son. And showed us this great love He has for us. Now that's while you were a sinner. Now the Bible says. How shall He not with Him now that we are children of God. Do what? Freely give us all things. Let's go to Romans 8 there before we get into the. Love chapter. Okay, in verse 32, we, we read this. He that spread on his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elected? Is God that justifieth? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, and is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from... What? Okay, who shall separate us from this love? Who shall come between this great love that God has for you, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you? Who shall separate you from that love? I'm going to show you something here that if we grab a hold of it, it'll change your entire way of living. Look at what it says. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, no, we're not accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that what? Persecution, distress, peril. Affliction, all these things that come against you cannot separate you from the love of God, but you can separate yourself from the love of God because of the persecution, because of the affliction, because of the trials of life, because of the tribulation, because of the peril, because of all the distress that comes against you. If you separate yourself from the love of God, then God cannot get His love to you to get you out of your trouble. And most people do exactly that. They begin to murmur. They begin to complain and begin to get upset. They begin to chide against God. And before you know it, they have separated themselves. And that love cannot get through to give you your victory. You are more than a conqueror through His love. And when you stop the flow of that love, then you have no victory. Let's read the rest of it. 
For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't care how many afflictions and trials and angels and demons and all these things that's coming against you or demonic forces, anything that's coming against you cannot separate you from the grace and the love and the compassion and the mercy that God has for you if you'll just walk in that love. If you'll do it, beloved, then that love will make you more than a conqueror. But if you start to complain and wonder why all this is happening to you, then you're not going to be that more than a conqueror. Hey, these things, we speak these things by faith, not foolishness. I want you to grab a hold of that. You don't hear me saying I'm more than a conqueror in foolishness. I am more than a conqueror through His love. And if you know how to activate that love, you're going to know how to activate the power of God. You're going to walk in this victory. Okay, now, this love, let's tie this in. Go back to 1 John. I want to get into this. We want to get into that love chapter too. It's camp meeting night tonight. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. <laughs> glory to God. Well, who made clocks anyway? First John 2, 5. God didn't. The Bible says there is no time with God. Right? First John 2, 5. All right. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God, what? Allowed to run its full course. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God, allowed to run its full course, or to become ripened and come to full fruition. To, come, to be ripened, to be ready to be used. Now, if you keep his word, go to the fourth chapter of the same gospel, or epistle. Let us get up to the seventh. Let's start with, um, well, let's go down to 12. That's one way of perfecting love, allowing the fruit of love to come to perfection in your life. Remember, remember Luke said, he bringeth no fruit to perfection. Okay, there's one way. You've got to keep His Word. The love of God will be perfected or brought to full fruition. Look at verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If, 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 if we keep His Word was back there, then the love will be brought to perfection. This says, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and His love is... What? His love is perfected in us. If we love one another with the same love that He loved us with, if we show forth this love one toward another, then the love of God comes to full fruition. It's allowed to run its full course in our lives. And the fruit of love, you'll be bearing it every day. That You'll walk in it every day. That's what He's talking about when He talks about walking in love. Walking in God. Walking in fellowship with Him, walking in fellowship with one another, is perfecting the love of God. Let's read the rest of that to show you what He's talking about. Hereby we know that we, we dwell in Him and He in us, 
because he hath given unto us of his spirit which shed abroad the love inside our hearts or flooded our spirits with that love. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. Well, I'll tell you what. You take God is love, and love is God, and you put them two around, and you start saying, He that... Keepeth the word of God is perfected in God. And God's in him. What he's saying is this. You have perfected the life of God in you. And all it means is you've brought it to full maturity. You have lined up your spirit, soul, and body with God's love. And that love now is flowing forth from you. You are a ripened character. You are a ripened fruit in God's love. You are producing the very perfected love of God through your life. You'll be walking around on this earth as Jesus did in the love of God, His Father. Look what he says. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. All right? There is no fear in love, but perfect love, or perfected love, or love that has been allowed to run its full course in your life, casteth out all fear. See, this is not just to quote the Scripture. You must know what it means to be perfected in love, and then you must be perfected in love, and when you are, all fear will leave. It has to leave because, he went on to say, because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not what? Okay. He that is still in fear, you know why? Listen. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that you may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. Fear thou not, I am with you. My peace I give unto you. Don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You don't know that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is, loves you. And if you know He loves you, He is a protector to you. Your shield and buckler, an exceedingly great reward. Under, your, under his feathers and wings are you trusting. He has put around you protection. 91st Psalm is very descriptive of God's love for you. The 23rd Psalm is very descriptive of God's love for you. If you're not made perfect or perfected or matured in God's love for you, then you're going to have fear. Hey, when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he wasn't talking to you, just go ahead and let everybody beat on you. He was saying when you turn, when someone comes out hidden around the secret place of the Most High God, he was enveloped in God's love. And it was so powerful, friends, that when he turned it on, they probably just, wherever he walked by it, they probably fell into the power. He may have walked, did you see over there in, in Luke 4, when the Bible says they took him to the brow of the hill to cast him off the brow of the hill? He walked through the midst of them. He turned on the love. And it was so powerful that they had no power over him. They couldn't do it to him any longer. He brought it forth. Turned the other cheek. 
He went at them with the love when they came at them with the hatred. He turned the other cheek. And blessed be God, there's divine and supernatural protection and intervention for those of you that will begin to perfect the love walk in your life. It'll get the angels of God to move on your behalf. It'll cause the supernatural forces and powers of God to be released on your behalf. And as you begin to walk in the realm of love, you'll begin to walk in the realm of victory because God is love and God has already won the victory. Amen. That's what it's saying. Can you see that? That's how it works. Perfect love. Cast out all fear. Verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, hate his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can the love of God, how can he love God in whom he hath not seen? If you can't love your brother, you can't love God. And you're not perfected in God's love and you don't know God's love. Okay? And this is the commandment we have from Him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. It's a commandment. And if it's a commandment and God commanded you to love, and if He did not give you the love, and if that love is any different from the love He has for you, then what's the matter with God? But it's not different. If I am to love you with all the love that I have, if I am to do good to you, if I am to do all things that God said for me to do to you, then God is doing them to me. Oh, that gets me to jumping now. Because I'll treat you like a king. Well, isn't that right? Isn't that right? How am I to treat you? I'm to love you with the same love that God has for me. If I'm going to do that, then that means, blessed be God, I've got to love with His love. And that means, glory, He loves me like I love you. And I wouldn't hurt you. I wouldn't harm you. If I saw you sick, and, and I could, I'd heal you. But I can't heal. Only God can heal. But if I saw you had need of money, I'd take it out of my pocket and give it to you. If I saw you had need of clothing, I'd take my jacket off and give it to you. The Bible says to do that. If I saw you was in trouble, I'd help you. You know what that means? As you would have men do to you, so likewise do unto them. And when I do it to you, the Bible says God do it unto me. I'll tell you what, he's got all the resources. And if I show you that same type of love, friends, God's got to show that same type of love to me. Because it's his love I'm loving you with. Now, when we get into the love chapter, let's put God there. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Let's put God in place of, of the word love. And you'll start to see something about how much God loves you. Or how God, the characteristics of God's love, yes, but also... God's love for you. Now, there are four Greek words for love that you need to be familiar with. It'll change probably your marriage relationship. I'm going to do it. It'll change your marriage relationship. I, when, I, when I talk with people about the marriage relationship, this inevitably comes up. It has to come up because this is what the whole marriage relationship is based on. Is God's love. There are four Greek words for love. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8. It starts out by saying love or charity. The reason why the word is charity is because the word that's the Greek word that's used for that love or that charity there it's divine love. It's the word agape. And that word to be translated in just L-O-V-E there's three other words from the Greek that's translated L-O-V-E, love. And that word charity gives you a deeper meaning. An example would be this. If 
your boyfriend came up to you one night that he took you out to eat or whatever and said to you, honey, I love you. Well, you'd probably just say, well, I love you too. And wouldn't think anything of it. But if he said, honey, I cherish you, you'd say, let's go pick out the ring. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, there's a difference between the word love and cherish. So, so fellas, you remember that. That's the difference between love and cherish. That's why they use the word charity in, in the King James. It's, I'll give you the different meanings. Eros, E-R-O-S, is the first one. Storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, is the second one. Phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O, is the third one. And Agape, A-G-A-P-E, is the fourth one. Now, Eros is sexual, physical attraction. Most marriage relationships are based on this type of love. Sexual, physical attraction. Period. Mark it off right now. That is not a foundation for a marriage. It can never be. Second, storgi means compatibility. Compatibility. Same likes. You have the same things in common. I like pizza, she likes pizza. You know. You like art, she likes art. Not, you like football, she likes tap dancing. There's nothing compatible there. You like to race motor cars and, you know, she likes to ride bicycles. There's no compatible. In other words, the sexual, physical attraction, you got to have that if you're going to have a marriage relationship. Yes, we understand that. You're going to want that. Second of all, you should have something in common. You should have something to where you're compatible one with another. You have some likes. If you have dislikes, okay, you're, you may have some dislikes, but you'll learn how to cope with the dislikes. You'll say, I'll put away the football games for a while and, I, and I'll do some things you like. We'll, we'll compromise here and we're going to be compatible. We'll compromise one with another. If you don't have that then your marriage relationship doesn't, ha doesn't even have those first two things that go on. First of all, you're not going to marry somebody who's ugly. At least not to you. Right? I mean to you. You know. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. Hi, Tony. <laughs> now listen. Then you're not, you shouldn't get off and marry somebody and all this guy wants to do is get himself under, under the car and he comes out with 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All he does is work on the engine. You say, honey, take me down to, you know, I'm going to go shopping or something. He says, go shopping by yourself. I'm going to stand in the car. Or go do this, go do that. I'm going to do this. Well, there's no compatibility there. How are you going to have a marriage relationship like that? Right? Okay, then you've got phileo love. Which is the natural human love. It's, it's the highest form of human love. Okay? This is selfish love. Phileo love. It's selfish. Basically, it's a selfish love. It's natural and it's human. It's selfish. Okay? It's governed by circumstances. My honey went out and bought me a brand new sweater, so I went out and bought her a dress. Responsive. Okay, it's based on circumstances. It's governed by circumstances. It changes with the circumstances. Then she went out and uh, bought me a new pair of shoes. So I went out and bought her a new hat. 
Okay? Responsive. Boy, that sounds good. And, you know, when you were dating, you did this. See? Went out and bought me this or bought me that and then, uh, you know, did something nice for me. So I did something nice. They took me out to eat or she took me out or he took me out to eat. She came and made me a nice meal the next night. See? It's responsive. It's based on one does one thing and the other one responds to the good works that the other one did. It's a responsive love. But you took, turn that around and put the shoe on the other foot and you find this out. He came home and picked me up, or he came home from work or whatever he did, and uh, he was all upset and mad and said, how come food's not on the table? So I got up and said, well, who's, who cares? Why don't you go out and make yourself something to eat? <laughs> Responsive. So, so she puts on the dress and says, honey, what do you think about this new dress? said, well, I don't, I don't think you look good in it at all. You know. And so the first time you put on that suit she doesn't like, she goes, what do you think you look like? It's responsive. That's right. It's responsive. You know. And that's, if you base your marriage relationship on that, you've got to have that. You've got to respond to the love. But, don't, but also, likewise, you're going to be responding to the negative side of it. So you can see that it changes with the circumstances. So then after three or four years of marriage, when you don't like pizza anymore, and he gets a little bit of bald spot up here. And then she gets a little, you know, over here after having four or five kids. And then before you know, uh-oh, what do you got left? <laughs> now listen to me. Listen, you'll get a hold of it in a minute. Oh, why do you think they go to divorce court? He didn't take out the garbage. You cruel character, give her the divorce. That's right. That's what they do. You get divorced now on anything. That's right. Didn't take out the garbage on time. Oh, you know, divorce. And that's the type of relationship people live and base their marriage relationship on. And it cannot last. And listen, this is a sad thing to say, but it's so very true. They end up staying together only because of the kids. And only because of moral standards. But the love that they based their relationship on was not enough. Now we come to agape. Divine love. This is the life and the nature of God. It's God's love. It is aggressive. It's not responsive. It is totally aggressive and giving. God's love is a giving love. This love, let's, let's describe it now. This, in the King James, this love, charity, suffers long. It's patient, it's kind. Charity, divine love, does not envy. Charity does not puff itself up. It's not vaunted itself up. It is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It does not seek her own. It's not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This love never fails. That's the word of love that was used there in John 3.16. For God so loved you while you were a sinner, while you were unregenerate, while you hated God, while your heart was filled with wickedness, while your heart was filled with evil, while you showed evil, evil, evil towards God only, God showed you love. 
And so when your husband comes home from work and he starts to holler at you and to complain at you and to gripe at you and to say this and to say that, if you're walking in God's love, you'll say, Glory be to God, honey, what can I make you to eat? Instead of responding to that kind of talk. Or when the wife gets on your case, you'll turn that same thing around. And you won't take account of your own life. You'll say, glory to God, honey, what can I do to help you? I'll do anything you want me to do. Blessed be God. Now that's always giving. Can you imagine if you get both of them to walk in that kind of love? That kind of love never saw a divorce court. I didn't say a Christian never saw a divorce, divorce court. I said that kind of love never saw a divorce court. You take that in the Amplified Bible and it, and it breaks it down more for us. And we're going to pick it up there on Sunday. But I want to give you some definitions. And we'll close right here with these definitions. I wrote these definitions down as I was doing a study. And I thought they were good and we could use these in our everyday life. But listen, we're not getting into the operation yet. You have got to take everything that the Word says about love, its characteristics, the way it acts. You have got to speak it forth in your heart. Speak it forth. Build up your heart with it. I endure long. God endures long. I endure long. Love endures long. I'm patient and kind. God is patient and kind. I'm patient and kind. I treat you. I'm patient and kind. Here are some ingredients for love. I wrote these down. I'll give you their definitions. You could write them if you want to. Number one is patience. It's never in a hurry. It suffers long. It bears all things. It's passive love. It does not resist. It believes, hopes, and endures all things. It's continuously, it's constantly constant. It's always the same way. Number two, kindness is love in action. It never acts nasty. It's not inconsistent. Inconsistent. It's not puffed up and it's not proud. All right, number three. Generosity is love in competition. It's never envious. It's never jealous. Humility is love in society. I'm sorry, love in hiding. Remember Jesus hid himself in that love when he was attacked by the people? Humility is love in hiding. It does not behave itself. I'm sorry, it does not parade itself. It works and then it retires. In other words, it's love in hiding. It, when it does a good act or a good deed, it does not go off and find praise of men. It does the good act, it does the good deed, and then it hides itself away and it secludes itself from the praise or from the glory and lets all the glory go unto Him. Humility is love in hiding. I don't want to hear any of the praise. I don't hear anything that I have done. But it only wants to hear what God has done. Okay. It retires after it does the good works. Number four or five. Courtesy. Love in society. It does not behave unseemly. It's always polite. It's at home with all classes of people. It's never rude or discourteous. Unselfishness is love in essence. It's never selfish. It's never bitter. It seeks only the good of others. It does not retaliate or seek revenge. Grab a hold of these things. Listen to them. Righteousness is love in conduct. It hates sin. It's never glad. When others go wrong, it's always gladdened by goodness to others. It's always slow to expose, always eager to believe the best. Love in righteousness. To believe the best about your brother. Don't expose your brother's faults and failures. You've got them too. Don't expose them. This is love in, in righteousness. 
It doesn't rejoice when someone goes off and does wrong. Did you see so-and-so what they did? It doesn't rejoice in that kind of talk. It rejoices to bring out the best about brother, sister, so-and-so. That's love and righteousness. Okay? Good temper. Love and disposition. It's never irritated, never resentful. And the last one, listen to this. Sincerity is love in profession. It's never boastful. It's never conceited. It's never a hypocrite. It's always honest. It leaves no impression but what is strictly true. It's never self-assertive. It does not blaze out in passion and anger. It's always just, joyful and truthful. It knows how to be silent. And the fullness of truth is always present. These are the ingredients of God's love. You grab a hold of these definitions. You grab a hold of these, this word. And you begin to build this on the inside, an inner image. And you begin to act like what this says. Don't just speak and say it, but act it out also. But the speaking and the saying will develop in your heart so it could come forth out of your spirit and bring forth the good fruit of this love. And you'll begin to see that you'll know how God loves you because you'll be sharing that love with your brother and your sister. And glory to God, you'll have a whole new relationship with God the Father. You'll know a love like you've never seen before. It'll flow from heaven right through your spirit. Right out to your brother and sister. You take it. You speak it forth from your lips. You build it inside your heart. You meditate it. You think about it. You murmur it. And then you release it. You act it. The next time somebody does you wrong in a store, at a gas station... I don't care where at, wherever you're at. Somebody cuts in front of you. Somebody does this. Someone does that. You say, dear Father God, this is an opportunity to walk in love. And you begin to release that love. Instead of retaliating, you release love. Jesus released the love when he was persecuted. Did he not? And that love brought forth victory. Well, we're, going to, we're touching the area of God's love. We're going to get deeper into it. We're going to see his, his love for us. We're going to see how much He loves us. We are going to straighten our spiritual man with the thoughts of God's love, that God does not do evil, wicked temptations, that God does not do all these things to us. He doesn't do that to us. And we're going to find this out through God's love. And when your heart begins to get right, your spirit man will be a fully developed character in God's love, and you'll begin to bring forth the fruit of that love to others, because you'll know your Father God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. Knoweth not God. He doesn't know God. Because God is love. And that word there is absolute. He's absolute love. There's no darkness in Him at all. Absolute love. And that's what absolute love is. You start saying that this is how God loves me. And then you start speaking it forth and say, that's how I love others. And you're going to have a chain going. A flow of love. From God through you to others to God through you to others. A flow of divine love. Amen. Spireheads. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. 
If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.